This morning we come to the seventh word from the cross, which is trust, from Luke chapter 23, verses 44 to 49. There is a powerful Easter message from the cross, and we have looked at all seven words of Jesus from the cross. And now, even though it's past Easter, well, for some, for most of us, but the Orthodox Church is actually celebrating Easter today. I do believe that there is a tremendous lesson for us in this last word from Jesus from the cross. And it has to do with the way that we live our lives. It has to do with God's sovereignty. It has to do with how much we do actually trust God, not just say we do, but in the way we live every day. And it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an amazing send-off which Jesus left us, not only as he committed his life to the Father, but in the lesson that he left for us in the way that we are to commit our lives to our Heavenly Father. So we're going to read again from Luke chapter 23 and only verses 44 to 46 now. It was now about the sixth hour and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun had stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. In his most trying moments, in his dying moment, Jesus reaches out to, into the, the depths of his experience and, and again goes back to the psalm. It goes back to David, his forebear. And now he... We looked at Psalm 22 and now he reaches to Psalm 31 verse 5. Into your hands I commit my spirit. The dying moment is a moment of trust. And, and it's interesting, I don't know whether you've picked this up or not, but the, in the Psalms, the way that David spoke to, his, to God he, he personalises the spiritual life. In, in, in previous to that, it seems like God is spoken almost in the third person, but David, through his experience, is able to, to, to say, the Lord is my shepherd. That's, that's a bit of romance right there, right? He guides me. So he's able to, to bring the experience of the people of God and, and make it not something that it's out there, but it's actually in here. makes it, his experience with God very personal. Jesus, of course, took it even further. For Jesus spoke consistently of and to his Father. William Barclay points out that this verse was a prayer that every Jewish mother taught her child to say at least at every day and before they went to, to bed at night. 
And just as we were taught to perhaps say, this night lay me down to sleep, so the Jewish mother taught her child to say, before the dark came down, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And Jesus made it even more lovely for he began with the word Father. And even on the cross, in the midst of of so much death, suffering, Jesus died like a child falling asleep in his father's arms. That's beautiful, isn't it? This is why the the overriding theme of, of the last word from the cross is trust. So what else can we uncover in this beautiful in this beautiful word? Well, it's about fellowship. It's about fellowship. Up to the moment of the cross there had been perfect and unbroken fellowship between the Father and the Son. And when Jesus prayed his priestly prayer, he could say to the Father in, in John chapter seventeen, verse ten, and then in verse twenty one, he, he would say All I have is yours. All you have is mine. You are in me and I am in you. That's the the, the close connection between the Father and the Son. And as we began our series a few weeks ago, we saw that Jesus began with a request to the Father. Father, forgive them. And Jesus finishes his earthly life, his mission, his sacrifice, with a request to the Father. Father, forgive them, and Father, I commit. Father and Father. It should really hit home to us just how much Jesus, from beginning to end, trusted his Father. But yes, there was a time, because of our sin, where Jesus had to exclaim, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when Jesus Christ had said, It is finished, it is completed, it is done, the price had been paid, I truly believe that at this point, that the peace, the curse that was upon us, being removed. And once again in this passage, Christ goes back to the saying, Father, no longer he says, my God, my God, but he goes to the more personal Father. Much more intimate, isn't it? So the seventh word of the cross shows an intimate fellowship with the Father. It's amazing how often this word Father came from Jesus' lips, when you think about it. Uh, his words in, in, the, in the Bible are, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? That were his first words, the first words recorded of Jesus. He was only about 12. He got lost in the temple area. Mum and dad forgot all about him. Tends to happen. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he speaks of the father 17 times on the Sermon on the Mount. In the upper room, in John 14 to 16, uh, the word Father is found no less than 45 times. In the next chapter, John 17, he speaks 
of the father six more times. And now, his last word before death, he speaks to the father again. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father. And now they're coming up with these terms saying, well, maybe we should make it a little bit more inclusive and not speak the word father. Are you kidding me? That's the way that Jesus referred to his father. It's perfectly good for us to speak to God as our father. And the wonderful thing is he whom Jesus calls father is also our father because of Christ, because of his work on the cross. He is our father. We can come to him. We can actually call him not just father, but the very personal other father, daddy, the very personal, very intimate way. How unbelievably precious is the fact that I can look up to the great living God, the creator of the heaven and earth, my redeemer, my father. God is my father. I can look up to the heavens as we did this past week, the Milky Way, this little tiny, minuscule little corner of the universe that he created and I can say, my daddy did that. And you see all those little dots? He knows every one of them by name. And just as he has counted every hair on your head, Except you, Dennis, but uh, yeah, <laughs> and, and, and as you get older, you're giving him less work, obviously. He doesn't have to work as much. The one who, who gives food to the birds, they recognize their creator. He is my father. He cares for me. He supplies all my needs. He works out all things for my good. This is why John says in 1 John 3, 1, how great, how unbelievably great is the love of the father, the the, the love the father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. No other faith No other faith speaks to their God in this way, the way that we are able to, the way that we are privileged to. I hope you take advantage of this every day and pray to the Father as we should and we are encouraged to do. What else is it about? It's also about surrender. It's also about surrender. Now, in making this point, I just want to, in brackets, say something here, something that I think I will, I will talk about it in, in, a, in, a, in another sermon, another date, okay? But I, I don't want to get into it right now. Uh, and it's whether our view of, of, of us is dichotomous or trichotomous. By dichotomous, I mean that we are body and soul. But in the Bible you also find body, soul and spirit. 
So for the sake of this morning, we will just treat it as a dichotomous. So we are a body and a soul and spirit are just one, okay, rather than separate, even though we can make an argument for a trichotomous view as well. The most precious thing belonging to each one of us is our spirit, isn't it? It is far more precious than our homes, our bank accounts. The spirit within us is a treasure and our main care in life is to see it secure and in safe keeping, in safe hands. That's why our relationship with God is the most important thing in life. So Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So Jesus is showing us that the the only place for a man's soul is eternally secure with God. That's the only place where our spirit is is safe. Now from from a human perspective, this is a, a colossal act of trust in the Father. He was surrendering control of life into the Father's hands, knowing and trusting that on the third day everything will be okay, that he will come through. Jesus basically said, I'm ready to release my hold on life and I am unafraid to do so because I am placing everything about myself into your hands. More than that, you will safely deliver me on the other side. There is no fear, no apprehension, no anxiety, only trust. You're probably all wondering, what on earth is that picture there? Now, I'm sure most of you weren't there at the time, but this is from the 1800s. Maybe Duncan remembers. No? Uh, Charles Blondin. Charles Blondin was a French tightrope walker who lived in the 1800s. In 1859, Blondin went to America and he strung a tightrope across Niagara Falls. Uh, some of you would have been there. I haven't, but it's quite, a, quite an expanse, from, especially from the American side to the Canadian side. And starting on the Canadian side, he inched his way across the falls to the American side. And when he arrived, 10,000 people were, were there cheering and chanting his name. Blondin, Blondin, Blondin. There's no nets, okay? There's no safety gear. He quieted the crowd, thanked them for coming, and then announced that he was going back across the tightrope, only this time with someone sitting on his shoulders. Do you believe I can do this? He said. And he asked the crowd, and again they chanted, We believe! We believe! We believe! He quieted the crowd 
a second time and asked, now, which one of you will be that person to get on my shoulders? (laughs) Exactly. The crowd went very, very quiet. Finally, out of the crowd of 10,000 people, one man stepped forward. Who was it? It was Blondin's business manager. (laughs) He was actually more afraid of, of the act flopping than of him falling to his death into the falls. So what did he do? He climbed on Blondin's shoulders and for the next two and a half hours he inched his way to the Canadian side. And he made it. Amazing, right? Now, I don't know what it's like. You have to be pretty strong because carrying your kid for two and a half hours is, 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 is pretty bad, but on a tightrope on top of the Niagara Falls. Uh, amazing stuff. You see, the, the point of the story is, is obvious, isn't it? 10,000 said, we believe, we believe, we believe. And in a context of church and and worship, and you, you get in the hype, and everybody's saying, "We believe, we believe." We can sing it, we can, we can shout it, we can hear the preacher. I said, "Preach it, brother." But how many really believed when the going got tough and the call was made? How many are willing to get on his shoulders? Even Jesus found out when the going got tough. How many of you, are you, do you want to go as well? John chapter 6. At the point of the cross, how many were there? Only John was left with the women. When King David spoke these words, Death was actually not in his thought. He wasn't thinking about dying when he said, into your hands I commit my spirit. It was in life. In the midst of his troubles and dangers, as we read, right? That it's in life that he trusted. So we are either trusting in our own finite power or we are calling out for help from someone who is much greater than us. And you see, by and large, God will not forcibly take control of our lives. We have to be willingly give Him control. He sits on the chair. He takes the reins. We have to surrender And here is that word, isn't it? I surrender some. No, I surrender all. Here, you take the steering wheel. And God doesn't need any backseat drivers, by the way. What is this word about as well? Well, it's about rest. It's about rest. While he hung on the cross, seven times Jesus spoke. 
I want you to note something else which I believe is, is more than a mere coincidence. After all, there, there is no such thing as coincidence with God, with God, only God incidents, right? Seven, you see, is the number of completeness or perfection in the Scriptures. Even there at Calvary, we see the, the, this wonderful display of, of perfection. It is also interesting to know that seven is also the number for what? For rest, when the work is completed and finished. In six days, God created the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. In creation, there was an exclamation of satisfaction. It was good. And then it was very good. Good, Ramez is working. Yep. Once again, our Jesus had been given a work to do, and the work was done. Here, it's a very different setting than the one at creation, isn't it? But on Good Friday, it is finished. And just as the seventh day was the day of rest and satisfaction, so the seventh word from the cross brings him to the place of rest. And where is that place of rest? Into the Father's hands. Make sense? What is this word also about? It's about committal. The word committal is used during funerals and I've done quite a, quite a few of them. And it's usually the last word that you say and committal is, what's the expression? Ashes. Okay, that's part of the committal. When we speak of the word committal then, we usually refer to, you know, commit the bodies of our loved ones to the ground, to the earth, to the ashes, to the dust, to dust. We're committing them to the, for the Christian, we are committing them to the living God. The dying Jesus ministers at his own committal service. You see that? Offering his very self into the hands of God. He's asking for safe lodging. So Jesus leaves us this, this wonderful example here that we should, we should follow as he has done. The Saviour committed his own spirit into the hands of the Father in death because his life had been in the, in the, in the Father's hands throughout his life anyway. His 33 and a bit years on earth, wearing human skin, his life was in the Father's hand anyway. So therefore it wasn't a big issue to commit it to the Father in death as well. Now the dying prayer of Jesus became a solemn Christian tradition. One of the first martyrs, of course, was Stephen and he committed his spirit to God during life and he could also say at his death, as he was being stoned, he could say, Lord Jesus... Receive my spirit, Acts chapter 7. Some of the reformers like uh, Luther and Knox, Polycarp, uh, back, back 
before the Reformation, obviously, Melanchthon, John Huss, all these Christians and, and others are said to have followed this prayer or one very, very much like it in their death. So whether they were being burned in the stakes or praying in the, in the middle of a Colosseum before being eaten by lions, the, the example of, of, of the Christians, of the faithful of God, committing themselves to God in their dying days was, was a tradition. And, and just, just regarding John Huss, he's actually one of the first... John Huss was a Czech, so he's a relative, uh, and, and, and he was one of the pre-reformers, around about the 1400s. And uh, he was burnt to death in 1415. Now, before his death, some of his, some of his accusers, the, the Catholic bishops, removed his priestly dress bit by bit and then placed on his head a painted crown, painted with images of demons to have said, we deliver, the message, the implication of this was, we deliver your soul to Satan. That was the idea. See? And according to the story, the trembling Huss said, but I commit my spirit to thy hands, O Lord Jesus Christ, who has redeemed me. Take that. Final thoughts. Final thoughts. I want to tell you that at death you can commit your spirit into the hands of God, but only if you have already committed your spirit to God during life. Don't wait for your deathbed to surrender into the hands of the living God. There are people who are afraid to put their spirit, afraid to put their life into the hands of God. Some are scared because they don't, they're not sure what God might have them do or might have them give something up that they don't want to give up. Others won't put their hands in the life of God, their lives into God's hands because they're not ready to take their hands off the steering wheel. They want to be in charge. Some of you might be thinking even, you know, I've seen, you know, people who have entrusted their life into the hands of God and bad things happen to them, just like they do to everybody else. Well, that's true. When we entrust our lives into the hands of the living God, it doesn't mean that we won't have any troubles. The world is full of tragedy and Christians aren't wrapped in bubble wrap. Many of us, to remind you, many of us will be boarding planes this week in order to travel to a wedding, apparently, in New Zealand. Some will board with a certain fear and trepidation and as we board, as we're waiting, across our minds might appear different thoughts of plane accidents and you know, plane crash investigation, that type of stuff. And what the result of all the investigation is sometimes human error, sometimes mechanical error, 
Sometimes it's just incidents, you know, a bird flying into the plane, that type of stuff. Here is a story. Now that you asked, <laughs> someone getting a little bit uncomfortable in their seat. <laughs> 20 minutes into a flight from New York to San Antonio, Texas, the flight plan changed as calm gave way to chaos. One of the plane's engines failed. Debris from the engine smashed through a window, causing, causing the, the cabin to be penetrated and decompressed. Sadly, several passengers were injured and one person was killed. But the pilot was pretty calm. He, you know, he was trained as a, as a fighter pilot. He was pretty calm and things definitely could have been a lot worse. And the headline, and he, he landed the plane uh, even with all that damage. And the headline in the local paper read, In Amazing Hands, In Amazing Hands, was, was the headline. How many times we place our lives in the hands of other people? Whether it be a, an aeroplane pilot or a bus driver or a surgeon. Not only people, but also in things, in our investments, sometimes even in our own abilities. We were out in the bush this week and when we got there, we discovered a landscape that was desolate, dry, Two years of drought does that. There were sheep scattered, dead sheep. They lost about 600 sheep and they just let them die. It, it, was, it's, it's, it, was, it was, all of us, you know, felt a sadness for these farmers that have to live like this. And, and I, I think that farmers have to be uh, they have, these people are, are, are Christians, they come from a Christian family and, and farmers have to be, they've got nothing else but God to rely on for their everyday lives. You know, for us, we say, well, okay, we'll just go to Woolies or go to Coles and there'll be food there. But the food doesn't grow at Woolies. Amazing. It doesn't grow at Coles. It comes back there. Their lives... Their property, their livestock, their crops are in God's hands. Amazingly, just as we arrived, the rain was there and it rained and it rained for one or two days and by the second or third day you could see the shoots of grass, the, the landscape. You could change him before our eyes. You could almost watch the grass grow. It was amazing. It truly was. That's God's good earth, isn't it? God's provision. God's sovereignty. Maybe you are going through a, a bit of a hard time, a bit of a, a desert experience in a dry and dusty land. 
But God calls us to trust him. To hold out for the rains, for the water to come, for the blessing. We have a God who gives us the strength we need and who promises us. The word's very well known from Romans 8.28 and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So even when hard times come, God has a purpose. God has a plan. God is, hasn't left the steering wheel. He's still in control. And what better way to, 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 be, to listen to Jesus' words, to, to live by his words and to, to hear those words and replay that, those, those words every day of our lives, not just at night, but even as we start the day to say, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. We entrust all that we have, all that we are, and the most precious thing we have is our spirit into his hands. Whatever the day might bring, whatever the week or the year or the rest of our lives may bring, trust it, entrust it into his hands. Just as Jesus had complete trust in the Father, our Father is the one and is the same. We should also trust him. Are you willing to put yourself in God's hands, just like Jesus? I hope, I hope that we can say that. We will trust the Father in everything. Amen.